Gene, it's all yours. Welcome. Uh, it was a little different getting asked to speak here. I, it's, it's home. I, I was asked several times before, even the first time we went here, and I've always declined. And I don't know what the difference was this time that I accepted. But Jeff expressed to me rather jubilantly that he was glad I did this time because I guess he is the one who put my neck on the line. So <laughs> thanks, Jeff. Um, I also was talking to Eric the other day, and he said he's going to be listening online. So while he's on vacation, if everybody wants to scream, hi, Pastor Eric and Kathy, now's your opportunity. There you go, Eric. Have a safe trip home. <laughs> um, today, talking on a very personal subject for me, um, I've over the last 11, 11 and a half months, I've been walking with a friend who lost his battle to cancer. So if I slow down at parts, it's all still fresh, so just know it'll all be okay. Um, his name was Jared, and his wife is Margie. They've got three kids, an 18-year-old boy who's in the Navy and sped up his wedding so his father could see it. His name is Solomon. They have a 15-year-old boy named Isaac and a 13-year-old girl named Joy. Um, it was really tough, especially with my experience with death. I've seen a lot of it in my lifetime. And it, it, it all started really suddenly. Jared, he's up, they're up in Idaho. They moved there from California. We've done plenty of trips up there to hang out with them. Uh, me and him, best friends, uh, actually changed it to family after a while. He was out hunting with a partner, and his wife and the, his partner's wife were going to meet him the next day because everybody hunts in Idaho, even the women and kids. And so he and his buddy were up there scouting, and his buddy noticed that Jared was sort of disoriented. So they call Margie, Jared's wife, and say, you know, I think he might be dehydrated. You might want to come up and maybe check on him. So she comes up and ends up taking him down to the ER, and they hydrate him with the IVs and everything. He gets a little better, and they checked him. He was fully hydrated, but he was still disoriented. So they decided to do an MRI. They do an MRI on his head, and they find 15 tumors. Um, devastating moment. Um, it, it was a life-altering moment for his family and friends. And um, I, I can't even imagine Dan and Pat, his mom and dad, you know, I couldn't imagine losing a kid. So they said, well, tomorrow we want to do a full body scan. They do, and they find a spot on his lung and a spot on his liver. So it's, it's looking dismal, and it was pretty shocking. I talked to him as much as I could and give him his space at the same time to deal with the situation with his wife and kids and everything. And the following day, after they did the body scan, they did um, radiation. They started really concentrated radiation on the tumors in his brain. 
And a few months, I guess a month and a half later or so, they did um, another MRI. They sent it in to the oncologist to read it, and he's like, no, you guys messed up. You need to send us a different one. Uh, you need to verify that that was actually your patient's file because I'm not seeing any tumors. I see a little piece of one, but that, that's it. So they verify, and sure enough, it was Jared's. 14 and 3 quarters of the tumors were gone. So now everybody's rejoicing. Everybody's thanking God. There's lots of hope. A few months later, he starts getting a pain in his hip. He goes into the ER. They check him out. They find cancer in his pelvis and his hip now. So now the momentary hope goes back to darkness. Walked through that with him. Talked to his mom and dad a lot. And at that point, they ended up, because of all the side effects from the chemo and the radiation, and he was on 29 different pills and drugs he had to take along with his chemo treatment and that. It was really wreaking havoc on his body. And so they changed up to immunotherapy. That goes on for a little while, and they do another scan, and they find it's not doing anything. So now it drops back down another level. And we walked on that for a while, and um, it got towards, of course, Michelle and I made quite a few trips up there, and, you know, I, I would go under... You know, I know you needed to work on your house and you're not able to do it right now, so I'll come up. I'll bring my tools, I'll drive, I'll work on the house, and I can sort of be there supportive. Michelle made a trip up there just to help Margie with the day-to-day -day stuff so that she could care for Jared because he was at home and she was dealing with him 24-7. And it got to where one night um, his mom called me and said, uh, we're taking Jared to the ER, he's not, he's not breathing well. And he's had, a, he's had a rough time. So they take him in. I get a call later that he went into full respiratory failure, but they revived him. Next morning, I talked to his mom. And um, she's like, eh, he had a really rough night, and he's having a rough morning. And I said, okay, well, I'll let you guys be, and I'll talk to you later tonight. And at 4.10, I got a text from his mom saying, call me. I already knew what it was. And it, all she could muster up to tell me was, this is a call you didn't want to get. And it was, it was rough. Michelle and I made a trip up after that um, for his memorial. It was really hard for me because I'm like, do I want to be up there at the end and be there for them, or do I want to make it to the memorial service because there's no way I could do both. I started a new job and my boss was great enough that he gave me off that. So we ended up going up for that. I decided that the family could be there for that because that's what was important and I'll play a supportive role later. And so we went up for the memorial. It was really rough. Um, luckily was not asked to do the service but I was asked to speak first. And that was, that was easy. I was more than happy to do that. Um, so that was sort of what I've been walking the last 11 and a half months.
um, it's suffering is a broad subject. It's been around since the beginnings. We read about it in Genesis and everything. Our suffering is no different than back then. Our suffering is a lot of the same items they suffered with. Um, we've got some added components that they don't have, like a really fast-paced life and a lot of stress that we have to deal with on top of work and finances and family and everything. But pretty much we suffer the same things. Um, loss of a loved one, disease, addiction, poverty, divorce, ab- abuse, hunger. There's countries where genocide's happening and people are getting taken out with machetes. It's not even a merciful ending. And on top of that, we have a, a lot of the hate in the world right now. And I think that's a result of all the stress, fast-paced. People aren't designed to live like this. Um, and it, it covers most of the experience, uh, you know, it, it Yeah. It's political issues that separate and divide. If we try to watch the news, you can't even do that to see what's going on because for 30 minutes all you hear is death, violence, murder, and then the last few minutes they'll do a pet adoption, show you some cute little fuzzy thing to normalize it, and it, it doesn't do it. I can't even watch the news. And all the darkness that's out there, it, it can tend to make you feel isolated as a Christian, especially. Alone. And that's why we have each other. It, it, the darkness doesn't, I don't think, cause suffering for everybody. It might for some. But I know for me personally, in those moments where I'm experiencing a lot of just what's going on in the world and it starts getting to me, it enhances the feelings of suffering. It it adds to it a dimension that I I, I really don't have a word for. I've thought over the last week of a word to describe that, and I don't have one. It's just dismal, abandoned. The fact on that, though, is... That evil's been around here forever, too. The people that suffered back in biblical times experience the same evil we do. Satan has been around, and that is his game to take our focus off of our walk, off of our Savior, off of grace for one another, and joy. And I think that's when, the second we feel that way, for me, it, it took a while I wasn't. I was 38 when I got saved. So according to Pastor Jeff, I'm in the one percent. Um, when I start feeling that way, that's when I will pray. I'll start to read, or I'll if it if it's really a lot, I'll call one of my friends. Let's go out and get coffee or something. And I think that's what is healthy, and I would suggest trying. If you don't have an accountability partner or someone you can vent and talk to, find one. Luckily here, I've got quite a few. And if you ever really want a fun e-ticket ride at Magic Mountain, go out to lunch with Pastor Jeff or to coffee. 
He'll tell you in love, but he will tell you the truth, and it, it, he won't let you waste your time. And he'll, he'll go right straight to the matter. I had a World War II vet. Um, I, I really enjoy hanging out with elderly people ever since I was younger because I like gleaning the knowledge. Um, that's why every week you'll see me with Merv and Ben and Ralph and whoever I can find that's been around longer than me and I'll talk about what they've experienced and how they dealt with it. There was a World War II vet, and I befriended him. He lived in an apartment building I worked at, and we had three buildings, and there was probably 750, 800 units there, so I got to meet a lot of people that I could talk with. And it started off with the typical stuff. He was telling me war stories and all that, and then it got a little more personal because I started pushing for, you know, when did this ever happened in your life? How did you deal with it? And then... One day I was sitting there and I'm like, if you could tell your younger self something, what would you tell yourself? And he thought, and he thought, and after three or four minutes, he goes, I got it. I would tell myself, life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react. And I, once I got saved, I saw the value of that in my walk. I can, I can handle things and choose my view on things and I can look at things honestly or I can blame everybody else. If, if I slammed my hand in a door because I'm hurrying, it's not right for me to go, where was God? Where were you? Why didn't you help me? Why didn't you protect me? It's not right for me to sue the door company because it pinched two of my fingers off. I was in a hurry. It was my own thing. And so I think our posture and our attitude when we approach different suffering and trials is huge. And I think your posture will get better as you focus and spend more time with God. So that's why I... And this all started with why do bad things happen to godly people? And even worse, why do good things happen to ungodly people? It, it, it's frustrating to see someone that's just totally mean or deceitful or lying advance and get ahead of other people that work day in and day out and just seem to luck out on everything. But if you flip it and you use the correct mindset and you start looking eternally, they're getting their rewards now. They're going to have nothing later like we will. And that turns it into a sad situation rather than an aggravating situation. And truth is, on the whole subject of why do bad things happen to good peoples, we don't always know. We won't always know. We won't know why it happens to us some of the time. Back in the Bible, a lot of the Bible stories don't tell us why people were going through some of the stuff they were going through. Some of it is explained, but not all of it. And we have to be okay with that. God is God. And um, my experiences with death and loss is, I mean, Jared was the recent one. But it, it, it actually, my whole mindset before I got saved 
was set in stone when I was seven years old. I had an aunt. Her name was Doris. It was my mother's older sister. We were inseparable from what I'm told. About age two, when my mom would finally cut me loose from her side to go somewhere without her, we were constantly going places. Always was taking me to Arby's. That was her favorite place. I'd spend the night there. And I can remember getting into her big white Chevy. She was a bigger gal holding the steering wheel. And I can remember both of us laughing and joking because I would sit there and flop the flab on her arm as she's driving. <laughs> and I mean, that's what I meant to her, that that was okay. It was funny, you know? And, uh, but watching her, um, she was about 34 when she got cancer. And she got cervical cancer, and they fought it. They fought it. I remember going to City Hope to see her. For three and a half years, I watched it eat her away. I remember the doctor visits. I remember being at her house. I remember the sights, sounds, and smells. I remember everything. And when she finally passed, the thing that set it as a bad thing to me and to where I sort of disengaged and didn't really care was watching the entire family arguing and fighting and pissing at each other. It's um, my uncle, who was married to her, decided to bury her by their house, where my grandmother had had a plot for her in the family plot. And I remember a lot of the words, a lot of the cussing, the looks on the faces. And that set me up for quite a few years. I had... Another friend, when I was about nine, he was nine, got leukemia, passed away. I, w I was numb at that point. Um, the, on the next one that got me was I had a really close friend named Guy. He was about 28, and I was 16. We'd play guitars, and we'd listen to music and hang out a lot. And he, he, he gave me the best advice he could. He was a sort of a hippie dude. Um, and he was a great guy, very giving. I watched him literally give away his stuff to people in need. Great guy. But he had an accident, and his girlfriend got killed, and he blamed himself. And I sat with him for a week, week and a couple days, not saying a word because he wouldn't talk. I just sat there with him. I don't know how I knew to do that, but I did. And after a while, he, he explained it to me, and I told him, you know, got a part-time job. I'll pay half. You need to go talk to somebody. Because he was talking very dark. I mean, he was describing how he would take himself out. And I mean, it was very detailed and very dark. And I'm like, you really need to, I'll pay half. I can pay up to half. I went to his dad. I'll pay half. Get him to go. Get him to go. And he didn't. About three days later, heading off to high school in the morning with my friend Kevin. And I see six, seven sheriff cars in front of his house, a fire truck, and a corner wagon. And I knew he did exactly what he was talking about. And sure enough, um, I've had a few of those. You know, um, By the time I was out of high school, I couldn't count on both hands how many friends had died. Drugs, suicide, accidents. And so it was nothing to me at that point. 
However, on 3-25-01, at 8.40 at night, there was a pastor speaking. His name was Jay Cardi. He was a retired Lakers player. Had a thing called Yes Ministries my son wanted to go to. And I got asked, sorry, I got asked to take him. And if I, I don't know if I remember correctly or not, but I believe Michelle, for some reason, couldn't. I'm looking back now, and she probably could have, but I thought it would be good for me to be there. And he did an altar call at the end of it. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I went to a few churches, and the churches I got serious about when I was younger, both times, pastors had to step down and gave the big lecture because they were sleeping with a couple women in the church. So I was done with church. This guy was different. I don't know how. And I listened to him, and he did the altar call. And I'm like, I'm supposed to stand up. And I'm like, no, no. I'm, I'm done with that stuff. And not in an audible voice, but clear as a bell, over the right side of me, I heard, this is your last chance. Took it very seriously. Stood up. And as we all stood up, Jay goes, I need you all to stand there for a second. And he explained what it would cost us, how our lives would change. It could cost us friends, family, you know, by standing our ground as a Christian in our walk. And about almost a third of the people sat back down. Then he called us down. And it, it, that was the day my life changed. My perspective changed. Um, my demeanor changed. Ask Michelle on that one. <laughs> Um, but there was a couple things I learned right after that. One was to think more eternal instead of momentary. This is just, in the blip of time, in eternity, our life on earth, I saw Francis Chan do a thing with a rope that went around the whole church inside. And he had a massive church, and he had that much red tape on the end. That's your life compared to eternity is what he was his point. And so I learned not to think about just that little red piece. Second thing I learned was God knows suffering. And um, in 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. You know, suffering. We've heard the story of him in the garden when all of his disciples are asleep. He's sitting out there praying to God the Father, sweating blood, literally, even to the point of, Father, if this cup can pass from me, but not my will, yours. I learned the weight on my shoulders is nothing, nothing. I've never had all the lives past, present, and future souls on my shoulders. And it, it, it really changed my perspective. And in John 3.16, that's where I learned life wasn't, and suffering wasn't permanent. 
He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that none should perish, while none that believe should perish but have everlasting life. So this is momentary. And in our momentary lives, we have momentary moments. They're life-altering, some of them. I mean, in Jared's family's case, life-altering. But it's a moment. So by the time my mom... um, got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, my mindset was totally different. I played a different role. Rather than a victim, I was proactive, and I was there for my dad and my sister. And I took more of a supportive role to let them grieve and get through it. My mom had... um, I'd prayed with her once before, but it didn't stick. And... um, when she got diagnosed, she was talking to a chaplain. And this chaplain, I mean, he laid it out exactly how she needed to hear it. And she, she accepted Christ. The dude laid it out so well that it, he got a twofer. My dad was there and, and got in on it. And it, it was phenomenal. So when she got diagnosed to the moment she passed was three and a half weeks. God was merciful. She didn't get to the point of excruciating suffering and melting away like other people I'd seen. So I was thankful. She was saved. I knew where she was going. She didn't suffer. She was at home with my dad on her own terms. So it was, it, it was yeah, I miss my mom. But what, all that was just momentary. Eternally, she's set now. I don't have to worry or think or be sad about that. Same with uh, Jared and Margie. When all this went down, I was able to fall back on some of my training. And like in seminary where they did a lot of the counseling, that was probably my favorite part of the whole thing. And um, they did two years of biblical counseling, but the first year is self-awareness. So I got to find out what a scumbag I was before I pointed a finger. And um, I got to use a lot of that, knowing when to talk, when not to talk. And 90% of it was more asking a leading question so that they would answer their own questions and figure it out themselves. It sticks that way. And I know this has been focused on death a lot, but that's sort of what my experience is. Um, There's a lot of other suffering, as I said before. Um, And suffering can be not just mental or physical or emotional. It can be a combination of both. Everybody deals with it totally differently. Everybody's unique in how they experience things due to our background, where we're at in our walk, our understanding of God, our place with him. And a lot of the times, you know, when this is going on, the people will start the why questions. Where's God? Why did this happen? Why did he allow this? I mean, it would have been easy to do that with my mom or Jared or any of the people I've known that are gone. I don't have to know the purpose. God knows it. And um, at that point, Eric had asked me, Pastor Eric had asked me to... uh, 
work in a little caveat there about the sovereignty of God. Whenever you're talking about the sovereignty of God, there will always be people that counter you, and they'll go, well, why did God allow this to happen? Why did this, you know, my kid was riding her bike to school and a drunk driver careened off the road and took her out. What did she do? Why did God allow that? When you get into that, there's a, it's a whole big subject, and it's way too broad to talk about today. I mean, I, I've got more than enough to cover, so I'm gladly going to hand that off to Pastor Jeff or Pastor Eric and let them take a couple Sundays and school you on that. And I, I know, I'm hoping Pastor Jeff does it because he, I love that guy the way he just says it like it is. I can remember one when you were teaching about marriage and you were talking about divorce. I misheard him and I went up going, whoa, dude, way to lay it out. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, what he had said was, you said till death do us part. What he, and after that, what I misheard was he said, well, did you lie? I heard, well, did you die? And because um, till death do us part, it made sense to me. And so we got a big giggle out of that. But I like, I like his straight shooting. It's done kindly and in love, but it's truth. So you don't get sidetracked and there's no misunderstandings. And there's several possibilities of why we suffer. Could be consequences, which would be our lifestyle, our choices, things we put ourselves in situations. Could be to learn and grow. And at that point, you just got to go, what's God trying to teach me? What's he showing me? But you, you've got to stop and be in the moment and figure it out and wallow in that ugly garden to figure it out. Or it could be to grow someone else, which falls under the being a light unto the world category. So, and I mean, I'm sure there's other reasons. I'm not God. I'm constrained by time, space, width, and all this silly earth stuff. But he's not. And I have to respect that. If we could get... Um, Isaiah 55, 8, 11 up. This is the main verse I chose. A lot of people like 828, but this one, 828 is great. It explains everything, but this one was more personal to me and explained it better for the way my brain works and my heart's been through. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my words go forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. It explains it all to me. It tells me exactly what my mindset's supposed to be about God. He created me. I didn't create him, and I don't have to understand everything he does. And I would encourage you to let God be God. And we're not always going to know the answers. We're not always going to know why we're going through what we went through. At that point, you know, I would, that's where I would encourage you to really think about that. And do you trust him, really trust him with your life, your family's life? 
is everything okay? Even if you have a, a, a Jared incident. I mean, my heart breaks for his wife and kids. Jared's in good shape. And if I was still praying for him to be around, that would be selfish. God was merciful. I've got a video I'd like you guys to watch. And if you could, um, I specifically got the words not showing the musicians playing. And just so the words are up on the screen, if you guys could really pay attention to them. It, I, it, it was a life-altering moment for me. Um, when one of my friends of Michelle and I, the Dykstras, uh, Jeff was same thing as Jared. He, he got diagnosed with cancer and within less than a year he was gone. And they played this at his memorial. And that was his stance the whole time through the sickness. Uh, watching on Caring Bridge, his, his, him and his wife, there were something else. I mean, I can't count how many times I would read and just, I, I'm like, I don't know that that's how I would feel. And it was simple comments like, we don't know what God's doing, but he's doing it, and he'll show us one day. They were totally cool with everything, no matter if it went sideways or not. And so if you could watch this video, that would be fantastic. It's worth it all. And though 
Not only is all your affliction momentary, not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism. I don't care if it was slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless. It's doing something. It's not meaningless. Of course you can't see what it's doing. Don't look to what is seen. When your mom dies, when your kid dies, when you've got cancer at 40, when a car careens into the sidewalk and takes her out, don't, don't say, it's meaningless. It's not. It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, therefore, do not lose heart, but take these truths and day by day, focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach his word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. that at Jeff's funeral I had part of those thoughts and it just filled the gaps in for me at that point and it, it changed my stance and how I look at things how much do things really matter here so I just want to reiterate we're not suffering anything new that man before us hasn't suffered or man in, after us will suffer God was there then in the old Bible times. He's here with you now, and he will be with the people in the future. And I I just want to reiterate, we won't always know why we're going through what we're going through, but there is a purpose, 
and a reason, whether we know it or not. And I finally reached the place where I'm okay with that. And I hope any of you that aren't do. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith in confidence and assurance in things unseen. Trusting God, even though we know he's around, but not being able to tangibly see him. Trusting him with whatever. That's true faith at work. Have a great week. Thanks.